0: All right, before I do anything, I just, did y'all enjoy that song? Yeah. Pastor Lee wrote that. Woo-hoo. I will say, uh, first of all, welcome. Thank you for being here as a part of our service today and choosing to worship with us. I want to take a moment and just say thank you uh, from the staff, Um uh, Thank you for your generosity toward us. Thank you for the way you love on us. Uh, I'll also say that I'm grateful, very grateful, for uh, all of the staff. I know we have Lee and Colby up here with us today. Uh, I will tell you that they are invaluable to this ministry, and I am so grateful to be able to work with them. I love when I'm not in the pulpit, and I know you're in really good hands because there are going to be great people who are going to be a part of that. Obviously, as I mentioned, there are others, they do a great job behind the scenes so often you don't see what Amy does with children's ministry or even what Daly does in the background. There's so many other things that other individuals do, so I'm very grateful, but I also want to say thank you to you. Uh, your generosity and love toward us means uh, a lot, and we're grateful, and I think that they would say the same thing. In fact, Lee and Amy hung out because they wanted to make sure I said that correctly, so... <laughs> I appreciate that. Actually, at this time, uh, uh, I think I need to, are there any children that are left in here that haven't gone that way already? All right, good. All right. It is a privilege to be a part of uh, this day, to be able to worship with you. Uh, My prayer is that we as a church would serve you even better than we have in the past year or so Um, but it is a blessing to be a part of this church family and to be a part of this church staff. Of course, the greatest part of today is not the fact that you're doing pastor appreciation, though. We are grateful for it. Uh, I would say that the greatest part of this is we're also talking about life and what God can do to transform lives. Uh, This morning in this service, we had a baptism that was scheduled, and the individual wasn't able to be here, so I'm As disappointed as anybody else is at this point, Uh, we've got five others that are planning to be baptized in the second service today. Uh, But we have that beautiful tank that's filled up there, and if they were to show up while I'm up here preaching, I might just tell you you're gonna have to entertain yourselves for a moment while I go get changed because I I don't think I want to baptize in my uh, dress clothes. But Anyways, uh, it is a privilege to be able to celebrate and to be able to worship with you. Those who are being baptized, just to give you some information, uh, we've got a young man. I refer to him as Jimmy John. His real name is John, but the first time he came, I think my son might have invited him when he was in the youth ministry. I just thought he looked like a Jimmy, so I've called him Jimmy John ever since then. And uh, He has asked to be baptized. There's a young man named Grayson Bree. Lily, Erica, and Tyler. That includes adults, teenagers, and children, and it is a blessing to see individuals who are responding to the grace of Jesus Christ. We have two more that are planning on being baptized two weeks from today, so maybe the one that was supposed to be in the first service, uh, we can work that out for them to be baptized that Sunday as well. Um, But that's uh, Jamie and Brielle Malasso. They are uh, away this weekend celebrating Thanksgiving with one of our deployed soldiers. Uh, That would be Jamie's husband and Brielle's dad. And it is a blessing that they get to go, but it is also a blessing that we get to celebrate what God is doing in their lives. I actually offered to wait until Ryan, her husband, Jamie's husband got back and I love Jamie's response I made this decision, I want to be baptized now. (laughs) Uh, She's very eager to, to be baptized because she knows that God has done something great in her lives. I want you to know today that each of those individuals has a story to tell. If you'll remember last week, I challenged each of you to share your story with someone and my hope and my prayer is that you have had the opportunity to do that. In baptism, these individuals are declaring that they have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ and that it is their intent to faithfully serve him for the rest of their lives. Some of them have been taken out of addiction and brokenness. Some of them are blessed to be making this decision very early in their lives and we pray that God will keep them from those things but they all have a story to tell. I had a roommate in college many years ago. His name was Bob. And I remember we were talking about alcohol one day and he said, I don't have a story like other people have. He said, I don't have some great transformation story. I never even drank alcohol. I said, do you recognize that your story is just as beautiful, if not even more beautiful than the one who was delivered from that? Because God kept you from it all along. And the reality is that each of us has a story to tell. And we ought to recognize that it is God who is making that story happen in us. The common thread between all of the individuals who will be baptized today is that Jesus Christ is now a recognizable part of their story. And I begin again where I ended last week. What about you? Do you have a story to tell? I can think of no better way to go into this Thanksgiving holiday than to look at the story that God is writing about you and me. Last week was the beginning of a two-part sermon series leading into Thanksgiving, which is obviously going to be this week. And I'd like to take a few moments and follow up on that this morning. Our text today is a short passage that's found in Exodus chapter 15, verses 19 to 21. I think in your bulletin it might have even said uh, chapter 19, verses 1 through 21, and I decided not to give you the full 21 verses this morning. It's actually the second of two songs that are offered to the Lord in response to his deliverance. The first was led by Moses and the second by Miriam, and it's often referred to as Miriam's song. It is assumed by most theologians that Moses taught his song to the men, while Miriam would have taught her song to the women in this Jewish community. It would seem that Moses was a little more long-winded as his song takes about 18 verses, and Miriam's song takes up only three. This is ironic as scientists tell us that on average women speak about 20,000 words per day while men speak only about 7,000. I will just say I know some of you men in here and somewhere along the way your wires got crossed. You're more like Moses. But none of this matters when you've got a story to tell. When you're excited about what is going on, what God is doing in your life, it is hard to keep it to yourself. And here's the best part. You shouldn't have to keep it to yourself. You've got a story to tell, so you should tell it. Let's look at the story that is told here, beginning in verse 19. Again, Exodus chapter 15, verse 19 to 21 says this. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the water of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted." both horse and driver, he has hurled into the sea. It's pretty brief, but there's a powerful story that is taking place here. In Exodus chapter 14, just prior to these songs being sung, the one by Moses and the one by Miriam, God has done a miraculous thing. He has not only delivered the Israelites from bondage in Egypt, He has not only given the Israelites a means of escape by parting the Red Sea, but he has also destroyed the mighty Egyptian army that was pursuing them. So there is much reason for a song of thanksgiving. In fact, let me suggest that there are at least three reasons for this song of thanksgiving this morning. The first is found in what I shared last week. I once was lost, but now I am found. To take it a step further, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 tells us that we were dead in our transgressions and our sins. But that is a past tense statement. We are no longer dead. I was dead. We are no longer dead. Instead, we have been brought from death into life. And just to make that even better, As we move from death into life, as we move from being lost to being found, we are also invited into the greatest relationship ever imagined. First John chapter three, verse one says, see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We are now welcomed in as a part of the family of God. But sometimes it's hard to imagine that God would give us such a beautiful thing. Remember, when we talk about our story, so often we get caught up in looking at all of the things in the past, and to tell you the truth, the fact that he would invite us in to be his children is a little bit hard to believe, especially when we've made so many foolish and incredibly ugly choices prior to coming to Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example of this in the life of a man named John Newton. Some of you will recognize his name. Some of you right now are thinking, I'm talking about Isaac Newton, the guy who, didn't he discover gravity or something like that? That's not who I'm talking about. John Newton It's a very recognizable name because he became the author of one of the greatest hymns Amazing Grace. This song has been sung in countless languages and inspired multiple movies and musicals. But more than that, it became an inspiration to the millions who have been trapped in all sorts of bondage. Listen to some of the lyrics from the song Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Y'all could probably quote the rest of those verses on your own, but I want you to recognize that this was a man who clearly was relieved by grace. I imagine that all of us have heard these lyrics. Do you know why John Newton was so familiar with the idea of an amazing grace? As a young man, at the age of seven, his Puritan mother died. For about three and a half years, he would continue his education. But by the age of 11, his father would have him serving on a slave trading ship that would become his life. In the years ahead, he would eventually become separated from his father and then became intimately aware of the ugly side of the trade, slave trade business, as he himself would even be sold as a slave. But upon being rescued from slavery, John Newton did not forsake the slave trade industry. Instead, he would continue to carelessly abuse the life of so many suffering souls. Then one day, as an incredible storm raged while they were out on the ship, John's ship was about to sink in the open waters, and he cried out to the Lord for salvation. Suddenly, the cargo shifted in the ship, miraculously covering the hole that had already formed at the bottom of the ship, And because of that, the ship did not sink. But Newton's prayer was a starting point that would gradually overtake his life. He would later write, I cannot consider myself to have been a believer in the full sense of the word until a considerable time afterward, because he recognized that he didn't fully even comprehend what he had committed to. But this was the beginning of transformation in his life. Over time, he would begin to recognize the evils of the slave trade industry, and he would seek to abolish the practice. He pleaded with the Prince of Wales, even making three voyages to purchase slaves simply for the purpose of setting them free. He would later write a pamphlet that was distributed to every member of the British Parliament that was entitled, Thoughts, upon the slave trade. In that pamphlet, he wrote these words. It will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. By the way, the impact of that pamphlet was incredible. As not long afterwards, under the influence of a man named William Wilberforce, Parliament would abolish slavery. But I want you to hear this today. John Newton knew incredible grace because he knew all the things that he had been a part of so early in his life. He carried incredible regret for his past, but God's grace made a way for him to be redeemed. It's not all that different from the Apostle Paul, who had referred to himself as the chief of sinners. How could God show such grace to someone like me? I am so unworthy, so undeserving. John Newton sold slaves, probably even had many of them killed. The Apostle Paul stood opposed to the gospel message Often, even having believers arrested and killed. So undeserving. But the same could be true of every person in this room this morning. We were lost, but now we are found. We were dead, but now we are alive. And that is a reason for us to give thanks. If you have no other reason for Thanksgiving this week, let it be because Jesus Christ has taken you from death into life. He's given you the opportunity to leave the past behind and to truly walk in a way that honors him. What an incredible joy and privilege it is for us to be called children of God. By the way, let me add one more thing that is associated with this. I give thanks not only for the salvation that I have experienced, but I also give thanks for what God is doing in others around us. I thank God for you and your story. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. Actually, I'm going to take it from three separate books. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul said, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters. And rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. In 2 Timothy 1.3, he said, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. And in Philemon, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, he said, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I will tell you that as a pastor, there is no greater joy than seeing the people that you love desiring to seek the Lord and to serve him. It causes me to have a great reason for thanksgiving this week. Well, there is another reason to give thanks according to our passage. As we look at Miriam's song, Miriam celebrates the Lord simply stating that he is highly exalted. This is a theme throughout both the Old and the New Testaments. It is the idea that God is exalted above everything else in all of creation. That's because he is the one who created everything else. It makes sense that he would be exalted. In fact, let's just consider the words of Isaiah on this for a moment. In Isaiah chapter 6, he declares that, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. Then later in Isaiah 33, 5, he says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high he will fill Zion with his justice and righteousness. Isaiah is just one among the many prophets who would declare God's greatness compared to everything else in existence. For example, listen to the words of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 10, 6, which says, No one is like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. Or consider Psalm 96, 4, which says, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. By the way, the fear there is not the trembling like I'm so afraid of what's about to happen, but it's an awe and respect that says he is so much greater than me. Or listen to one of my favorite Old Testament verses. It's found in First Chronicles 29, 11. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. The New Testament is really no different on this. I won't read all of Hebrews chapter 1, but... It's very much about the greatness of God. Listen to just three verses from that, verses 10 through 12. "'In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same.'" and your years will never end. I think you probably get the point. The greatness of God has already been established. So how should we respond to his greatness? There are two things that we ought to do. Both are illustrated in an encounter that's recorded in Luke chapter 10, Verse 38 through 42. I know that primarily I'm focusing on Exodus chapter 15 today, but that being said, this is a great story and it's valuable. Listen to it. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. In this story, they are honored by Jesus' presence. They recognize that his greatness is very clear, and they are responding accordingly. Martha is so impressed that she sets about to working to make sure that his experience is deserving of a king. She sets about to serve the king of kings, and let me suggest that this is a great response to the goodness and the greatness of God. We ought to serve the Lord because of how great he is. Too many of us have been in awe of God to the point that we just want to sit and enjoy his presence and we never get around to serving. Well, that's a bit of a problem because God has much work left to be done for his people. But Mary takes a completely different approach. It's not that she's lazy although Martha probably felt like she was, at least in that moment. It's simply that Mary doesn't want to miss out on anything. She hangs on Jesus's every word. She longs for relationship with him. Let me just say that both of these responses are actually good responses, but apparently one is better than the other. You see, there are many who will set out to honor the Lord with their service and maybe that is you. It's a good thing that you choose to do that, but what would be even better would be for you to develop a relationship with him. You see, you can do a lot of good with your service, but if you do not develop a right relationship with Jesus Christ, then you are still missing out on the best part. I told you it was good that Martha was serving and it is good if God calls you to serve and my guess is he will call each of you to serve. But you can become really good at doing things and never enter into a right relationship with him. And if that's the case, you still miss out on the best part. So I challenge you with this. If you truly want to express your thanksgiving to God, for his greatness, then you must begin by developing a right relationship with him, much like Mary was eagerly looking to do. And as you do, it will naturally lead you into acts of service that will honor him, and it will accomplish his will. But you must begin with that relationship. I told you earlier that we are invited in to a familial relationship. You have been made sons and daughters with God. How's that relationship? Are you growing in it? Do you know him? I had someone recently, I hate saying this when my son is in here, he's probably not even paying attention anyways, it's okay. I had someone recently Uh, They were talking with me and they said, I love the way your son connects everything to you. It was Debbie. Michael had been talking about football of some kind. I think it was the game last weekend. and Every statement that he was making in that conversation, me and my dad think, me and my dad think. I got to tell you, I want that kind of relationship with my heavenly father where I can declare, me and my dad think, because my mind is the same as his mind. My heart is the same as his heart. That's what God desires from us. I want to get back to Miriam's song for a moment. The final reason that she gives thanks to the Lord is because the Lord has already won the battle. In her case, God has just provided an incredible victory for the Israelites, they are free and they are pursued by an army that has now been destroyed. They've just witnessed an incredible miracle up close and personal. Look what the Lord has done. I wonder if there's anyone here who has experienced this. I'm not talking about the parting of the Red Sea, I'm not talking about the destruction of your enemies, although sometimes you may pray for that. I'm talking about the Lord showing up and doing what nobody else deemed possible. Perhaps even you wondered if it were possible. I want you to know that I have personally witnessed the power of God to heal the sick, to deliver from sin and addiction, to restore broken marriages, and to do what nobody else thought possible in the present, in this physical world, I have seen enough to know that God has already won enough battles on our behalf that we ought to give thanks for what he has done. I encourage you, just take a moment right now. Consider what God has done for you. The miracles that have taken place. Look around the room this morning. Let me confirm to you, I see miracles in this room, things that never should have happened, things that you should not have even been alive today because of. But God has been faithful and he has done great and mighty things. Has he done anything specifically for you? You know that he has. So you ought to be living in thanksgiving and celebration of it. I was thinking this past week about how polished the church has become. I'm talking about the church as a whole, the body of Christ. We've become so refined that we leave little room for true celebration in our worship. We need to look good on Sundays. We need to appear civilized. We need to fit into the mold of everyone else around us, maybe what we need is to become a little more like King David, who said that I'll become even more undignified than this. His worship of the Lord was not as reserved as others would have liked, but that's because he knew that God had done something great for him. Has God done something great for you? I do want to caution you just a moment with that. King David said, I will become even more undignified than this. He was worshiping blindly as if nothing else mattered around him. I do not encourage you to do what he did. He danced naked before the Lord. I don't want anyone taking their clothes off in here. But I do want us to be able to worship the Lord for who he is and for what he has done. To celebrate, knowing that he is not a dead God, he is not the God of 2,000 years ago, but he is the God of today, and he is still doing incredible, miraculous works. The greatest thing that God has done for you or me was accomplished 2,000 years ago on the cross for certain, and in a borrowed tomb. Jesus laid down his life for you and I so that our sins might be forgiven. He paid the price for the wrong that we had done. Like an older brother trying to protect his sibling from punishment, Jesus took the punishment for our sins so that we would not have to. But then to make things even better, Jesus' story didn't end when Jesus died on that cross. Three days later, Jesus arose from the empty tomb, conquering death and giving us the promise that we too, through the grace of Jesus Christ, will one day overcome death too. You see, Jesus has already won the battle. Just as with Miriam, as she is declaring he has won the battle, he has delivered us, Jesus has won the battle as well. Revelation three you've heard me share this. It is my favorite verse of scripture. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat with my father on his throne. Those are Jesus's words, and he is declaring what awaits those who overcome. But I want you to notice what he said in there. It's not just that you If you overcome, you will receive this reward. But he referenced what he did. Let me repeat it. To the one who overcomes, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame. What do you overcome? Sin and death. Jesus has won the battle Isn't it great to know that Jesus has already overcome? He has already won that battle. Give him thanks in your worship, in your service, and in the way you live your daily life. I want to close with one last verse this morning. Psalm 136 verse 1 says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And his love endures forever. You have much to be thankful for today. As we close, I encourage you, consider the great things that God has done for you. Maybe now is a good time to just stop and say thank you. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being with me in my darkest days, my most difficult times. Thank you for the many blessings that I experience every single day. Thank you simply for who you are. If you will bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we say thank you. We thank you that you did not abandon us to sin. We thank you that you were not abandoned to the grave. Father, Today, we have been invited into a relationship with you, and we simply ask for more of you. Father, I pray that each one of us would know you as more than just a God, more than just a historical figure, but as our Father. Lord, I pray for your forgiveness. There have been so many times that we have allowed sin to remain in us. We have allowed things to take place in our lives, and they do not belong, and we need your grace just as John Newton needed your grace. Maybe we weren't slave traders, but the wage of sin is death, which means no matter how big that sin is or how small that sin is, we still need your grace. Thank you for your grace. Lord, help us to never take that for granted. Thank you for your son, that died on a cross for us and then rose again from the grave. I pray today that each day we would live in response to what you have done. First of all, intimately looking for that relationship, but also willingly serving to honor you. Father, I pray that you'd help us to tell our story. Help us to recognize our story. Lord, you've been good. Lord, help us to just say thank you. But I pray today for each one that's here, pray for each of those who are going to be baptized later today. May your spirit rest upon them, and I pray that you would move in such a mighty way in their lives that they would become the incredible world changers that they were intended to be. Father, I pray that your anointing would rest upon them, but I pray that they would know your presence all the days of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I do encourage you. I did it last week. I'm closing with the same thing. Do you have a story to tell? If you do, go tell your story to someone who desperately needs to hear it. Again, I thank you so much for being a part of our service this morning. If we can work out baptism next Sunday, we'll do it. If we can do it the week after that, you know what? We'll do it every week. I would love to be able to have a reason to baptize every single Sunday. Let's continue to reach the lost for Jesus Christ so that we can do that. Thank you for being with us this morning. Go and tell your story.